What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Proteus Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Will Waterman, Head of Human Performance and Sports Science at Proteus Motion. We got a return guest for you today. This is Jarrett Phillips. He's at Train PMT in Dallas, one of our kind of early adopters, one of the brightest minds that we work with. This episode is chock full of basically nitty gritty analysis of some studies that we did with Jarrett, looking at correlations to basically uh, exit velocity with baseball and Proteus tests as well as some non-Proteus tests and some really interesting findings in there about which movements had the greatest predictors to ball speed. We also kind of dive in a little bit more into, into golf as well, talking about some clients he's working with, giving us some case studies. And we went a little bit more into that during the last episode about his overall approach and, and uh, methodology. So please feel free to listen to that episode if you want to learn about his overall approach. This time we go into more specific case studies uh, about some things he's learned by testing, retesting, and looking at the data and how he's used that data to really make sure that he's getting the results for his clients. So without further ado, let's jump in with Jared Phillips. This episode of the Proteus Performance Podcast is brought to you by Proteus Motion. Proteus Motion is doing for physical strength assessment what the x-ray has done for body imaging. The Proteus system is a patented physical assessment and resistance training platform that has proven to dramatically improve athletes' performance health, strength, power, and speed, and increase revenue for fitness, sports performance, and physical therapy businesses by up to 45%. Proteus Motion works with the world's leading fitness, sports medicine, and sports performance institutions, and is trusted by tens of thousands of users across all ages and abilities, including notable users, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Verlander, Damian Lillard, and John Rahm. Assessing strength and power in a way never before possible, Proteus assesses any combination of movements, especially rotation and multiplanar movements, in five minutes or less. Get actionable, hyper-personalized training recommendations and compare your results against friends, people like you, or any population. Don't forget, it's also a training tool. Proteus's 3D resistance feels like you're training underwater. Its patented 3D resistance delivers a new workout experience that is safer, more fun, and produces two times more muscle activation than a cable machine or free weights, helping improve movement patterns and increasing fitness. Proteus patented the first ever way to quantify functional strength enabled by 3D resistance, which is uniquely constant in all planes and directions. Spun out of MIT, Proteus was founded in 2016 and is headquartered in Brooklyn, New York. For more, visit ProteusMotion.com and follow at ProteusMotion on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. All right, we got the Jarrett Phillips back on the show. Welcome back, my friend. Hey, man. Glad to be back. I always love doing this. Oh man, I, I do too. And every time we talk, I feel like I want to record a podcast episode. It's so full of uh, great tidbits. I always learn so much. And I really was excited to do this episode because of, you know, this, you know, data analysis and, you know, also what you've been doing with some specific athletes that I just feel like our audience would really, really appreciate hearing this stuff and, you know, hearing it from you. You know, I know so many people that, uh, listen to us and so many of our customers are influenced by what you do. So thank you so much for sharing it. Oh, thanks, man. I'd love to share. 
Awesome, man. Well, hey, let's just jump right into this this uh, you know kind of data analysis we did because I think this this is really interesting. As soon as I read this, I was like, uh, you know, we got these findings. I know you and I had a bunch of talks around you know what are the implications here. So let's talk about a little bit of what we did. So I, I you know, this and you're gonna have to correct me on some of the details here if, uh, if you need to, but I'm pretty sure the kind of general emphasis or general synopsis of what we did. We looked at 255 athletes at your facility that did a Proteus test, and we also looked at their exit velos, specifically just looking at batters here. And basically, we took that as well as looked at some other performance tests, and I might want to have you kind of jump in here. I believe the other ones were grip strength. We did uh, also the sequencing, I think, with KVEST. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. And then basically ran that and you know all that yep go go ahead so we also did the on base u uh mobility assessment ah got it okay gotcha and essentially oh one more yep. we also do an in-body muscle scan to look at how their muscles distributed got it got it okay gotcha and in specifically we should say the proteus test it it consisted mainly of uh it was essentially kind of like a uh, a shortened version of what we would normally do in the Cressy test, correct? Correct. All, all yeah. we did is we took out non-dominant uh, shot put and we took right. out non-dominant plyo rotation mm. and, uh, and then the rest was, the, the rest was left alone. Yeah. That, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So then what we did was especially we, we work with uh an individual who uh, has done some you know, research for us in the past. His name is Courtney Jensen, and he's done a couple different analyses for us in the past. But he basically took all that data that you sent him, did all his statistical analyses, and he found some really interesting things, which, uh, it, which is what we wanted to share. And I'm going to give just a quick summary uh, of kind of what he found. So essentially... When running all those things through the statistical models, he found that there was basically seven predictors of exit velo that were like the strongest predictors. And these all together accounted for about 82% of the variance that you, you would see in exit velo. So the first few of them are just demographic things. So age, weight, and height were kind of like the kind of obvious things that you know created a little bit of a you know the difference in their performance yeah and, and that and, you know i just wanted to say to that the interesting thing with that is we also see that with exit velo averages by age you know so mm-hmm. as someone gets more mature exit velo is going to naturally progress up some so that made sense that we saw that in the data points right right so what's really interesting there is obviously those are the those are just the natural you know, <clears throat> excuse me, the natural progression of just maturation is going to explain a lot of just these, you know, you know, increases, right? But if we look at the rest of the variables, what we see is that the biggest predictors of performance were grip strength, torso rotation acceleration with Proteus, vertical jump power with Proteus, and then rotational punch power with Proteus. And so if you add age, weight, height, grip strength, 
in which is in you did you measured in kilograms, I believe. Uh, and then torso rotation speed or acceleration, vertical jump power, and punch power. That is 82% of the explanation of what predicted exit velo, which no. still leaves, you know, yeah, a, there, there's still a gap there, right? Of other things that and, and I think one, one thing we should highlight is is even though I collected all that data, we dumped out the range of motion. We dumped out the 3D. We dumped out the muscle scan. We just wanted to see measuring their you know, power-specific profile if we could predict exit velo with just the proteus. Right. And, and, right. and we found 82% ability to predict, which is super high, which that's why it's I, you know, I still think it's the best bang for your buck in regards to uh, if you're going to do anything on a player, do a proteus profile. And Love then it. And then you know how to how to attack it. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then maybe that. and then maybe add uh, a grip strength. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. or when you guys put a, a grip strength handle on there, and then we there you go. It. Exactly. Yeah. Then, then we could do it on there too. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about this, and I want to kind of actually go on just some very very just you know interesting correlations here. Um, just because we want to save some of this stuff for publication, we won't go into the the too nitty gritty. But essentially, uh, this is what all the data showed, is that a kilogram of increasing a kilogram of grip strength equal to about 0.16 mile per hour gain, increase in uh, acceleration with torso, uh, you know, with the torso acceleration for a proteus trunk rotation, every one meter a second squared resulted in a 0.28 mile per hour gain. Then if you look at vertical jump power and wattage, that equaled to a 0.08 mile per hour gain. And one watt in rotational punch power equaled a 0.02 mile per hour gain. So if you kind of look at that just by units, you know, kind of like your biggest unit mover is one unit of torso acceleration equals 0.28 miles per hour, one watt of power on the vertical jump because 0.08 miles per hour. And then lastly, rotational punch power, one watt equals 0.02. So that's kind of the, an ascending, you know, the the biggest movers. And then if you add in grip strength, that's kind of in between there, it's 0.16 miles per hour for grip strength. So I thought it'd be cool to kind of talk, dive in a little bit deeper on each one. And maybe we just start with, you know, kind of the non-proteus test here, the grip strength. Yeah. And why do you think that is such a, you know, the reasons behind why that grip strength is going to be a predictor of uh, exit velo? Yeah. Well, let's talk. I just want to make one note before we jump in that that data set included major league baseball players Hmm. all the way down to 10 year olds. Great point. And so, uh, and, and, and when you talked about each one of those adding up to a component of, more exit velo. When you combine them together, you're talking about every incremental increase across those four metrics, we're getting one to two miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And that would be above like the average for that height, wage, and gender. So that right. means if I have a 15 year old and I want them to get more exit velo, they may not have the capacity to get to the 90 yet, but they can get five to 10 miles an hour above what the norms are for their age, giving them a competitive advantage. And Love that's it. the thing. And then the kids that are below that, like, man, that lets us know right away, like, hey, you may not need to do more showcases. You may need to just go develop yourself physically. So it tells a parent and a coach, do we need more skill work or are we just lacking in raw athleticism? 
And that's right. where I think the Proteus, and that's what we're going to try to go do at a bunch of high schools is go measure all that and be able to tell the coaches, hey, these guys absolutely increase more skill work. These guys, you've got to get them in the gym. Otherwise, they're not going to, uh, they're not going to be able to perform. And then the other point is those four tests showed us that a bunch of movement patterns don't have a great effect. Like right, push, right. But yet that's what everybody wants to go do, push, pull. Right. So it really tells us that rotation, rotational punch, grip strength, and uh, vertical and jump are our biggest ones. Right, so, right. Which, you know, if you look at what a lot of people are trying to do, if you look at, you know, golf, baseball, anything that's a rotational sport bias, there were some interesting things that this kind of confirms that we see in other types of tests, right? Obviously, like you have to have a lot of ability of force to you know, put force into the ground right. to start. Right. right. That has to be the start. That's the vertical jump aspect. But then it's how well do you translate that vertical force into the ground yes. into rotation through your body and let that translate all the way to the implement? That's that's the next secret yeah. sauce. And let's dive into that. Right. Like, that, like so everybody kind of knows vertical jump. So, hey, it's not just about having a big deadlift. We like to use uh, velocity sensors, put them on a trap bar and say, hey, it's what you can move at one point five meters a second. That's the weight we want to drive up. And when we drive that up, we see the Proteus numbers on vertical jump go through the roof. Like we'll see kids do one hundred and thirty watts and 20 meters a second, which scores in the 95th percentile. And we can see that at 15 and 16 years old, if we focus on, you know, uh, uh, speed output on deadlift and not max weight. Right, right. And, and then so now, so we take that power in the legs, we got to co coordinate it through the torso. So we got to get it through the cord, through the rib cage. And so what I love is, is that the test really highlighted two components. You said torso acceleration. Acceleration. Yes. And so that's guys out there. That's not their Watts. That's not their peak Watts number. Mm -hmm. And the, the point on this is where Proteus does something that no other device can do. And I, this is the first thing I saw when I noticed it, when I'm a batter and right when I take my stride and my hips start to go, it creates a stretch across my core and across my lead shoulder. If you look at where that mechanism is happening, the angle of the arm, how it's loading the shoulder, it's exactly the same thing as when we start the rotation in Proteus, that first 10 or 15 degrees of rotation. Like if I'm a right-handed batter, I got the Proteus on my right and I'm rotating to the left. Those first, you know, 12 inches of space is where they have to be able to load fast. And that's loading the lat and the lead shoulder, the oblique system, everything on that lead side at a stretch. If they have a low acceleration, but high watts, it means they really couldn't create speed till their arms get around more to the midpoint or to the left side, which doesn't correlate as well to exit velo because it's that first, you know, pop that happens when yeah. we transition. So Proteus catches that. And then the finishing part of a, of a, of a hit hitting is going to be that right side drive through the ball, which mm. the rotational punch gets. So in those two moves, we get a full body analysis of early phase of swinging mm -hmm. and late phase of swinging. I love it. And that yeah, and so it's, it's, it's the best. I mean, yeah. Could you do it with some med balls and all that? Yeah. There's some correlation, but man, it tells us exactly where we need to train. Right. Well, and what's interesting is I just think, you know, you're the baseball expert, not me, but I just think about like, even where, uh, you know, bat makes contact, you know, it's not late in a swing. 
You know yes. what I mean? It's it's early. It's it's relatively early if you're comparing it to say like golf or some other sports. And so you really have to, the acceleration is important because you need that you need that velocity to be high as early as possible if you're going to make yes. a good yeah. you know good contact. And you might make hit higher power later. Um, great, good for you, but the ball is already passed, right? You're past right, the right, contact. Right. We got to yeah. get that point higher earlier. Yes, you know? the earlier the acceleration, the better. And that's why the acceleration number on the torso is, mm -hmm. is more important in some uh, regards than the overall power. Right. But on the rotational punch, it was the power, if I'm not mistaken. No, that's right. Yep. Because on that one, if you think about it, the early drive, the right side of the body doesn't have to deal with the early drive phase of hitting. It's the left right. On the right-handed batter. So it's the right. lead arm. Then the trail arm picks up that acceleration, trampolines it through the latter phases of acceleration. Mm. So that's why the power on the punch is important with the acceleration on the torso. They go together. Now, right. you uh, you a Thomas Myers anatomy trains guy? Yeah. You, oh, yeah. Yeah. So if we take and we think about the fascial lines and you go look at the deep front line, which is our core and hip flexors and all of that, there's our anchor. And then we think about the uh, one of the superficial lines that goes pec, to abs, to inner thigh. Okay. So that rotational punch is really highlighting their ability to use that sling. Mm -hmm. The torso acceleration is really utilizing. Can they take lead lat to trail glute and use that back X? So if you think about it from just the physics of torque, my early phase is that posterior line. It's the lead lat to trail glute. And you see it with force data, the same thing. You see the trail glute have that kind of put that back leg, have that kind of push off phase. Mm -hmm. Then, then the front side mechanics of the pec to lead leg take over and finish the swing. So it's the X's and guess what? It's the same thing in walking and sprinting. We're just using mm -hmm. those rotational slings. So the Proteus gives us the ability to measure front side sling, backslide sling. So I like to take the torso acceleration, mm -hmm. really telling me if my posterior sling is working. The rotational punch tells me if my anterior sling is working. I love it. And then yeah. what makes, what, what, what controls the bat are hands. They're the last. Right. Point in time. So if I create power in my legs, then I create power in my core with my two slings. Mm -hmm. And then I have to get it through my arms into my hands. The bat is rotating super fast. So you have this shearing component where the bat's wanting to pull away from the body. And that's why we have to have a maintenance of grip strength. And right. Hey, they've done there was already studies done on grip strength with a, with a mechanical thing that swings a golf club mm. and they put sensors in there and they determined how much shearing grip strength was needed to control the centrifugal force of the golf club. And it was 42 kilograms for a hundred miles an hour swing. And then it mm. extrapolated up and extrapolated down. So that makes sense that we would see the grip, you know, come into play and be the thing. Now, one thing Courtney, I think he also did, which I kind of have blown past here. I think he did use, did he use the mobility to see if that was part of the equation or did we carve that out? No, we, we carved that out. Okay, we carved it out. So yeah. if we take that remaining 18%, could that be some, uh, you know, mobility and 3D sequencing? I think so. Mm -hmm. It's just really hard for us to, you know, put some conditional logic to yeah. make, but to get an 82%, you know, correlation. That's, like, pretty, that's, that's, that's pretty good, hard. man. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, feel bad about that. I mean, being able to predict that, uh, but to a much greater degree is, is, I mean, we're, I think we can get there, you know what I mean? But yeah, I think yeah. that's already pretty freaking solid. It is, especially to pull out 
to me, I, I always like to go back to simplicity and, you know, something I learned early on and, you know, in, uh, you know, back in, you know, college with, you know, exercise physiology and, and biomechanics and is when you can really simplify things down and those things that you simplify it down to, if they make just logical physiological sense, which is just the way you explained it, is there a biological plausibility behind yes. the mechanics on why this makes sense? And you talk about things like, Pushing into the ground obviously makes sense. Translating it, using those slings and how these two movements measure those slings. And it makes sense the way you described it. And then you finish it off with something like grip strength. You know, this is all of that uh, checks the biological plausibility box big time, you know, and then there's lots of other things that can, I think, you know, affect these, the rest of this. And I think we, uh, you know, there's more work to be done there. But, you know, things like sequencing, which, you know, I think it was interesting in this one, we we didn't see, a, a, you know, we have a couple of theories there that we don't need to jump into about why there might not have been as high of a, you know, uh, detection there. I know that we we talked about uh, maybe changing up some of the way that was analyzed and yes. how the sequencing could play a, a factor there. But uh, and then, like you said, these mobility things and all this. But obviously, there's there's a skill component to swinging a bat. And, yes. you know, this all we're really saying is you know, let's, we know that when we look at exit velo, there's also, there's a skill component and there's just the physical capabilities of the batter. And if we're looking at the physical capabilities of the batter, these are the most important factors to look at and have the highest correlations to that. And that's going to enable the skill side to take effect. If you don't have these physical capabilities, you're not going to be able to execute the skilled movement as right. well. And I want know. to jump in on that too, because you're right. And this is something that I think uh, as a whole baseball instruction at an early age is missing is they go, okay, well, let's teach kids how to hit. Well, if a kid doesn't have a posterior sling, like that's, that's very good. Uh, and again, he may not have done PE very well. He may not have crawled very long as a kid. He may have had a weird development in utero, so his body's just off. Um, He may have never had to do any manual labor growing up, and so his arms are weak and his lats are weak. And so it's like, you want to put a bat in his hand and make him do something explosive and wonder why he can't execute form. If you don't have a posterior sling, you are not going to be able to early load the bat, and you're going to cast the bat, and you're going to have a bad swing. That was the other thing I wanted to, I hope we can do long term, is take the Proteus and the 3D data and confirm that your physical power ability will determine the pattern of your swing. Right. Yeah. Well, that's 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 uh that's that's coming, and maybe you'll be the one leading that charge, my man. Yeah. It's, um, it, it's uh, there's just too much time not spent on physical development. And, and one thing I do want to make a comment, because I know there's a lot of people that listen that work with kids and athletic development, such a big deal. 70% of the youth athletes that come in on the muscle scan, they are on pace on their legs, slightly behind with their torso and way behind with their arms. And I think we've had, we've briefly touched on this. They don't do any manual labor. They don't do any pull-ups or climbing or anything. They don't do it anymore. So if mm-hmm. your kid can't hang or your athlete can't hang from a pull-up bar for a minute, they got a problem. Right, they right. fail the early torso test. Right. And Hey man, that's the, and that's the, that's the grip too, right there. You yeah, know? Yes. That's, that's <laughs> why, yep. It's the grip and the, uh, and the, uh, the torso rotation. So. I, I love it. 
Well, dude, I, I love this stuff. And I think that, uh, you know, obviously what's so cool about this is just looking at the data and such a large data set. And by the way, what's really impressive about this is to have these high correlations in a like non like in a in a in a gym setting not a like lab setting is yeah. also uh credit to you on the ability to uh do this consistent type of work um because it is always much harder in that setting uh, i can tell you someone who's tried to run experiments uh outside of a you know true you know university kind of lab setting okay. it, it's uh it's it's a testament to the consistency of what you're putting you know of the uh, testing battery that you're having your athletes do man i appreciate it we just committed to the fact that we're all uh i'm going to say one more thing we're committed to the fact that we all test the same the proteus makes that doable because there's only a couple nuances that you have to really know and you can just repeat repeat, repeat. Uh, the other thing I was going to say uh, in regards to uh, some of those data sets also included people that had tested two and three times. Mm. So the other thing that added, it wasn't just tests done on new people only. It also done on people that had trained. So I think that created a really broad ability to see, you know, because there, there should be an improvement. And so that would help right. the the multiple regression look at those correlations. So I right. like yeah, that's awesome. That's a great point. And, you know, and we, what, you know, one of our goals as a company is over time to get more of this data from more people so that we can say, hey, let's look at it, you know, across the whole country and and, and put this uh, data together. But it's, I can say, tell you right now, it's really hard if they don't have uh, that consistency that that uh, you've demonstrated. So again, just more kudos. Um but let's uh, let's actually uh, take a little uh, turn here because I think what's really interesting is, you know, I, you know, as some people may or may not know, uh, you know, not only do you work with baseball, but you also work with with golfers. Actually, that's I I think of you in my mind. You're the golf, you know, you're the golf guy first. That's how I picture you know train PMT and like the athletes you guys uh, work with and really just helping add on club head speed and and drive distance to a, a lot of your your athletes, um, but we had an opportunity to kind of work with you with uh, uh, a PGA player named Brendan Todd, who some of you guys may or may not know. He's been a PGA player for a long time. He's had some success, um, but he's an interesting story, and I'll kind of let you you tell the most of it here. But long story short, is he just doesn't have a big drive, and yet he has a really good. Other aspects of his game are really strong, but his weakest link is his is his drive distance and you know you basically advocated for him hey get we're, i really want you you know i can help you but one of the things you need is to have a proteus a ready ready access to a proteus so uh he ended up getting one for his home and it just so happened that uh his home is uh, only about an hour from my house you know he's he's in athens georgia and i'm in atlanta georgia uh, you know, he's a, he's a fellow bulldog, go dogs. And, uh, he, uh, so, you know, I had a, the opportunity to go work with him in his home and work with you as his coach. And, uh, you know, it's been really interesting to see his progression. So I wanted to maybe have you talk a little bit about his, some of those statistics that you, you mentioned before about we've talked about, uh, and kind of these, some of the weaknesses in his game and what we've seen or what you've seen happen as you started to work with him kind of uh, applying yeah. your your approach yeah he's been a real interesting case and it, and it did not quite follow the normal pattern uh mainly because i made one error 
and I didn't trust the Proteus numbers. So, uh, <laughs> so essentially he came to us because Greg Chalmers, another tour player got to 120 miles an hour at 48 years old. He's hitting the ball longer than he ever has. And so they played a tournament and he noticed how much longer he was. And so they had lunch and he said, you got to go see my guys in Dallas. He was in town for a tournament. We screened him and he's, he's a really tall kind of lanky guy. And he's just represent represent yeah. tall, lanky yeah. guys like me, <laughs> but he just doesn't possess a lot of natural speed or explosiveness in his body. So he's kind of like, you know, a really skilled mover, but not a very athletic mover. And what I mean by that is, man, he can route the golf club. His short game is putting all of it's good. He's an extremely accurate player, but there's just not a lot of quickness. So when we tested him on Proteus. Uh, like his rotation and his push and pulls and his upper body and everything ranked around 30th percentile. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's think about that for a second from ages 25 to 40, he ranked in the 34th percentile with his, with his upper body and his core, mm -hmm. his legs ranked in the fourth percentile. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was the real, that was the real, uh, yes. that was his real weakness was his leg power. Yes. So um, with him being in Georgia and me being in Dallas, there wasn't going to be a way for us to, you know, our athletes that come in here are on a Proteus all the time. And mm -hmm. we also have other devices where we're measuring speed. And I said, hey, look, if you're going to get fast, there has to be intent for speed. We have to have a way to measure speed and for you to focus on it. So we, we did the deal with you guys to get one in. And then we tested him in December and he'd seen improvements working with us, but he just didn't have a lot of speed tools at home. So when you're when he's doing his workouts on the Proteus, he's getting that feedback. How fast did I do that rep? Mm -hmm. you know, how much force did I have on that rep? How fast? And it was immediate that he did not know how to go to that next gear, that next mm -hmm. gear. And so many guys in long drive, Justin James talked about stuff. I loved his podcast as well, um, where, you know, they have to create that intent for speed. And so we did that. Now, the mistake I made is I assumed he's 30, 36 years old. He's been training for over two decades and that his legs just needed contrast work. I've been a huge advocate of, you know, do something heavy, then something medium speed, then something light speed and do contrast work. The mistake I made is we know that when the Proteus number is below 50, okay, they're essentially telling you that person is in a starting strength, okay? Mm -hmm. So a person who's in starting strength does not respond well to heavy loads and multiple sets despite the age or how long they've been training. That's where Proteus allows us to go deeper than even just the norms that we deal with in strength conditioning. Because the norms say, oh, I need to get that from 4% to 50. Okay, um, and let's take his vertical jump was 4%. So we're going to deadlift, trap bar deadlift him, four reps, 80, 90% of max. Then we're going to do an overcoming isometric. Then we're going to do a body weight jump. And then we're going to do an underloaded jump. Okay, so we did that with him for eight, weeks and his ranking went from fourth percentile to eighth percentile hey he doubled come on right. give him credit but still <laughs> the rest of his body his torso rotation went from 34th percentile to 85th percentile right 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 and now he's rotating at world-class speed um, right. but his legs can't produce it so there we didn't see this massive jump in swing speed we had some incremental improvements and some new records on ball speed but because the legs you have to have whatever the lowest common denominator is has to come up. So about three weeks ago when he did a Cressy test coming off the road after uh, I want to say waste management or one of those tours or one of those events, 
um, I saw that his legs just weren't responding. So I said, you know what? We've got to go back to the basics. It That's telling me he's a starting strength guy. So I'm a big advocate of this one by 20 plan that doctor, is it Michael Yesis? What, what, um, Ooh, yeah. I looked at the book recently. Oh, actually, yeah, I did. Um, hold on. So this book, for those of you that are watching. Okay, yeah, there you go. By Dr. Michael Yesis. And he advocates doing one set of up to 20 reps for people that are in a starting strength mode. And I've done this. I did it with Cheyenne Knight a couple of years back, LPGA golfer. We gained eight miles an hour in like six workouts. People that don't have a high strength or power threshold, they respond different. And so right. Proteus was telling us our training plan for his legs was not good. Mm -hmm. We had to transition. So I think he was doing like 135 pounds for four reps. Now, since then, since giving a one by 20, so to get 20 reps, he did, uh, I think he did 75 pounds the first time. Within three weeks, he's up to 155 for 20 reps with a pause at the bottom before he taps. So think about that. Oh, nice. Capacity gain. Now, he forgot to do a Cressy test before he left for the uh, the RBC this week, but he's going to do it when he gets back. And we're going to watch the trend of the, that leg power go up as his one by 20. And we're going to keep doing the one by 20 till he plateaus. Yep. Yep. Which, which I read the book too, which is really interesting. It's just a, a, a synopsis for everyone. It's, it's really just about building that foundational ability for an athlete to, you know, generate whatever movement pattern they're doing, right? It's that one by 20 hits the, the, uh, the neural aspects of learning the actual movement patterns of, you know, getting a little bit of the actual, um, you know, you know, conditioning in the muscles capacity, that's like, yeah. capacity that's needed that's free pure strength right and so you you think about kind of how proteus approaches it we take okay if you're under 50th percentile let's start with strength if we want to you know if we want to improve the force times velocity uh you know which is power concept we're, our bet is if you're below 50th percentile you need to start with the force side of the equation before you go velocity yes. And even but, if that drops under 25%, it's like that person has like developmental. Right. Like and maybe, I think that might be the evolution we go towards, right? Maybe the evolution. Yeah. yeah you can't towards, give them a, a two or three set workout and expect them to respond. It crushes them. It crushes their tissue. Can't respond fast enough. Mm -hmm. Their, uh, their nervous system can't adapt fast enough. So he showed us that his upper body could handle contrast work, but his legs couldn't. Right. So we went from having a relationship between his rotation and his legs at 34 and four to 85 and six. That's not good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so what that does is, is now he can rotate super fast. That starts to affect a player's ability to repeat things they're used to. And right. so that's why you have to be very careful with pro athletes. And we have, that's why you need a tool and some kind of way of diagnosing. Are you keeping their power profiles balanced? Ah, interesting. So it's almost like that relationship ratios are might even be more important than just yes. the raw numbers because you could just basically make him an upper body freak. Yes. And he stays a lower body, just, you know, kind of where he was. And then now that might act, that potentially could affect the actual skilled movements a little right. bit. And this is where I think we'll, we'll see when we can take and look at the relationship of the profile against mm -hmm. the. That's where you're going to see why they they move the way they do in their 3Ds, their uh, their movement analysis, their uh, K vest, or their you know whatever kinematic sequence you're looking at is 
their vertical, their rotation, their, their shoulder chop, their, their grip strength, all of that's going to tell you why. So if we do that inverse, so like Brendan, if it was the inverse, we made his legs crazy and his upper body like didn't catch up. That's where we see players that just can't hit the ball mm. because they have so much vertical force. They can't translate it into their body. They early extend, they hang back, they flip the club, they do all these right. things. They literally can't control the speed. So in his case, if I was going to error on a direction, that's the direction I would want to error on as a better upper body than lower body. Right now, but let's, we've talked a lot about, you know, the kind of curveball he threw us, but let's talk about some of the successes that you, you got from it. I mean, like, I think you, you did some analysis of his actual like golf you know, statistics, you know, looking at like strokes off the tee and yeah, so you know, this type of stuff. To, let talk a little bit about the gains he's made there. So the gains, so overall were five miles an hour of ball speed improvement. Okay. So he went actually no, it's uh 164 to 169. Yep. Yeah. All right. We're That's not five. tracking club head speed because his GC quad that he has is not the same as a track man. They typically come out a couple of points faster. So we're just ball, we're looking at ball speed because that's essentially what's going to determine on the course. And as I've gone back through his shot length and look at different things, there uh there is more distance there. He doesn't always use it because he has because he again, he's that type of person. Uh his naturally he doesn't go to intensity or power. Right. So his comfort is cruise control. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when he has that confidence, we've definitely seen increase of 15 to 20 yards. In fact, I just screened another tour player who recently played with him and hadn't played with him in over a year and a half. And the guy's like, he's longer than me now. That wasn't the case before. Right. Before I was, I was even with him. Now he's got me by 20 yards, you know? And so in his shot link data, we're seeing on, on when he uses it, there's 15 to 20 more yards there. That's, that's awesome. And then, and I think early on you were seeing, Last year was it, or most of the most of his career, he was losing strokes off the tee, and this year he's gained in some instances. Yeah, so I, I, it's taken me a little more time to dig through the data because I need like a three or four year average because mm. there was a there was an uptick in his game kind of as he changed swing coaches and kind of got his his accuracy down. So I'm trying to go back five years and see more of a trend on, but his uh, his strokes gained, he typically loses. 16 to the he's giving up 16 to the field because he's a shorter player mm -hmm. and we've seen that uh he's gotten that down to just 10 so instead of giving up six strokes it's 10 on some tournaments oh, and nice. so, um you know because certain tournaments guys don't you don't go for it because it's a shorter course or it's more of an right. course. so that's why by the end of the year i'll have been able to analyze five years of the same tournament at the same courses and see uh how much distance improvement um we have uh the goal is to get him to be able to play at about 174 175 ball speed where he can carry the ball 290 ish or better um, because that will get him even on his distance that he's giving up ah, every tournament that his total strokes gained is around three or better he has a top five finish oh wow so so the goal for him is is the longer courses like the, the course this week rbc short and tight so it perfectly plays to his game. But when he has to go play a course like waste management, that's longer and wide, more wide open. Um, it, it creates a bigger disadvantage. That's why we have to look at multiple courses over multiple years to see some of those. Right. Games. It's where, where the trend is up and yeah. the, the trend is up with another one of our players, Taylor Moore, who won the Valspar. Um, it was interesting when they, when TPI was going to post about him, cause he works with TPI coaches, you know, 
um, they said, oh, his, his, uh, his speed's only up a half a mile an hour from last year because he's looking at the season average. But he didn't start working with us till November. So he had like seven tournaments already on this year's average that were slower. So he – Well, and Brendan was the same way. He didn't start till late either. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. I mean, he same didn't start thing. working with you till like November or yeah. something like that. So we won't see it till the till more the end of this year. But Taylor's already at like 123 playing playing speed. We're seeing that he he would peak at that. Now we're seeing it all four days. And nice. then uh, you know, same thing. We uh, we just recently screened Celine Boutier on the uh, you know winningest French player on LPGA tour, and Proteus caught two or three movements for her that were just slightly slow. And we're you'll see an uptick with her. And then. Uh, 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 another one, uh, uh, Roberto Diaz uh, from Mexico. Uh, he's at 107 right now. If we can get him to 113, it'll change his game. So he he actually showed huge rotational power, 433 watts. Okay, oh, so think about that. 433 watts is like top one percent or top five percent, but he only swings the club 107. So guess what his torso acceleration was? Oh, I don't know what. Like 10. Oh, wow. So he's, he, it's all at the very end. <laughs> right. So he can't load early. And oh, so, uh, so we'll, that'll, we'll see a big change with him on that. So uh, it's, it's just a matter of trusting the data and then go train it. Yeah. And then I think what's really interesting is we're, it, this is a learning process, you know, and we're learning from, you know, leaders like you and people like you, that are early adopters that really push the, that you, you do the things that are important. You're consistent in what you're measuring and then you're taking that data, you're looking at how it actually applies to the sport, and you're going, eh, something's not working there. You're not just staying in your like dogmatic thinking yes. of like, I have to do this. You're going, you know what? I'm seeing Brennan Todd's torso rotation go up, his arms go up, but his legs aren't going up. What I'm doing isn't working. And that's what the objective data yes. allows you to do. And now you're going, all right, well, how do I fix that? Well, it's pretty easy for you, you know, for someone like you with the, the knowledge base that you have, you go, okay, I got to rely on something else. Let me pull this out of my, you know, toolkit to affect it. And then now you're starting to see those gains. And But it really doesn't work unless you measure Right. And then you then, you know, obviously change what you're doing based on the measurement. And I, I would say that key thing has been the change in my career over the last 15 years and the progression, you know, both making money, ha having client success, all those things has been always test. And if you're bad at something, learn, figure it out, buy a right. book, go to a course, look up an expert. I can't tell you just when I bought all the books from all the guys on the TPI advisory board, great cook and and Mike Boyle and, and uh, Verstegen and all those that got me in the ballpark to then continually grab more deal. And eventually your toolkit gets big and you know how to address these issues. Yeah. Yeah. And some of that does come with the, you know, experience and, and gathering, but you, you also have to have the eagerness to learn, you know, and that's where I think, uh, 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 you know, it's hard when you're a young, you know, trainer just starting out when there's so much out there to learn and you feel, you know, maybe a little lost in the woods, but it's, it's that passion to keep learning and like keep digging into the books and learning from experts. That's how you, that's how you grow. Cause no one is, I mean, no one is perfect and no one has all the answers. So no, it's, yeah. there's always someone smarter than you out there. You and, know, and, you know the, the other thing to that is there's anybody that says there's only one way, yeah. like, you know, I, I look, I use FRC concepts. I use PRI concepts. We use anatomy trains concepts. We use yeah. uh, functional patterns. Nadia Aguilar is pretty, 
pushes the envelope a little bit in regards to the industry, but it's some of the things he does as well. We use things from Dan John, Pavel, the kettlebell guy, Michael Yesis. I mean, there's just like, yeah, a whole bunch of people have gotten really good in one area. And so pick, pick and grab things, but don't do, you know, let Proteus tell, let those tests tell you if what you're doing is working. There it is. Yes. There There it is is right there. There it is. Well, Hey man, I, I love this. This is, this is awesome. Thanks for sharing all this data. Now, uh, you know, I think it's probably, unless there's anything else, I want to take you to some of our new Proteus power questions. Ooh, I'm not, okay. I'm, I'm not going to hit you with the same ones I hit you with uh, last okay. time. I'm just going to hit you with some of the new ones uh, that <laughs> I came up with this year. So okay. you, you down for that? I'm nervous, but I'm ready. Oh, you won't be nervous. These are all easy. Yeah. These are all just total fun ones. So we'll skip your favorite exercises. We'll skip some of the, uh, fa- the favorite athlete that you, you answered last Jackson. time. There you go. Hey, that's mine too. So uh, we'll just jump right into this one. What is at the top of the Jarrett Phillips travel list? If you had to pick one place you want to go. Swiss Alps. Ooh, ski in the Swiss Alps. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So that that's at the top. Is there any one place? Uh, I want to I want to do a elk hunt in in uh, Canada and up in the mountains of Canada or or like in Wyoming some kind of up there past the wilderness line no people you know like Ooh. you have to have a guide uh, you got to kind of survive for about ten days or do it in Alaska with like a caribou hunt or something oh wow that's awesome man. and so is that so that's at the top of the list right now yes. those the Swiss Alps and then this like backcountry somewhere yes I love it man I didn't know you're such a winter guy you're in Dallas. I know. I don't, you know, I Maybe like that's to, why you like, like it. to hunt, but that, that's it. I don't need more winter outside of those two things. <laughs> you just want to go do it. You go to the snow and then come back to the sun. Yeah. yeah. I like it. Um, all right. Well, kind of as a compliment to that question, what's your favorite place you've ever been? Ooh. Travel wise, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, you can say, you can say home if you want, but you know, no, I, I would say it's uh, uh, like Breckenridge, Colorado. Oh yeah, nice. And, and, uh, and I like uh, I like uh, trying to play numbers on a craps table in Vegas. <laughs> I would have never thought you said that. That's amazing. It's, hey, it's, I love crap. That's my bad. favorite. Yeah, yeah, that's my favorite game in, in Vegas too, because that's the only a. It has the lowest house advantage. This is right. quickly digressing. This podcast yeah. lowest house advantage in Vegas, and it's the only one where you like playing with like a group of people. Right. It's always it's so fun. You know yes, what I mean? Yes. So I love it, man. All right, well, here's the last one. Uh, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Uh, I think we did this one. Mine was invisibility. Invisibility? Yes. Invisibility. I don't think I don't think you were you're too early for that. Okay, visit why invisibility? Um we got a sneaky guy over yeah, here. Yeah, just kind of <laughs> like I like I like all the spy and espionage like movies and everything. So it's like uh man, the things I also like like I hate that truth is covered. So I'd like to be able to go. Oh. Sneak in and go, you know what? This dude's lying. He's lying. That's not what's going on. I love it, man. Love it. I I, I love this. This is one of my favorites. I've had some great answers to the superpower. So, yeah. well, all right, man. Uh, I think this is a good place to stop. Um, you know, uh, always so grateful for you sharing your knowledge with everyone. I know that our listeners really appreciate it. Um, you know, where can people find you and what's up next uh, in your world? Uh, well, we're trainpmt.com and then we're also we're on Instagram and uh, Facebook and all that stuff. Uh, we just recently got a TikTok. I had to, oh, break, okay. had to break down and do it. I didn't want to. Um, <laughs> next up for us is we're trying to uh, take the Proteus on the road this fall, right before school starts. 
and we want to do uh, a bunch of com what we call combines for high school baseball, softball, and golf. So we would love to be just on the road from August through early September and then set up off-season plans for high schools. That's kind of our new thing because so many, they have all this time with kids, but they need objectable way. We did one this last year. It went great and we're ready to do 20 or 30 of them. That's awesome. Such a cool concept, man. Yeah, I, I, I totally forgot about you doing that. I, I love it. Um, you know, I, I can't wait to see the data from that, too. You know, that's yes. also the, the fun stuff yes. there. Yes. All right, man. Well, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, we'll look forward to watching what you're up to. All right, man. Thanks again. I love always being on. You guys are awesome.